Good morning. Welcome to Sunday Morning with Love and Action. I am Ken Tuck. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your day is going well and your Sunday's off to a good start. Pray you're having a good weekend. Last week, we completed a series, five-part series, called The Messiah Through the Scriptures, where we looked at where we see the Messiah from Genesis to Revelation. And if you missed any of that and would like to hear it, you can look up the Love and Action podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, and those messages are on there. Today, we're going to be in the New Testament in the book of James, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite letters in, in the New Testament and the whole Bible, actually. I just really love James, and we're going to talk a little bit about James today. And before we do, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. We exalt you. Thank you for loving us like you do. You love us like no other can. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and for the salvation that you give us, Lord Jesus, that you died and rose again on the third day. We give you praise and honor and glory that you ascended to heaven and you're at the right hand of the Father interceding, praying for us. Lord, we praise you for that. And we praise you and thank you that you are coming back. That's going to be a glorious day for those who are believers, Lord. And those who aren't believers, it won't be a glorious day. So I pray that this morning, Holy Spirit, you would just touch hearts. Father God, just draw people to you. And I pray today will be the day that people will give their lives to you and receive your forgiveness, receive your salvation, and live for you here on this earth, Lord, and worship you and serve you, for there is no better life than that. Lord, I've lived without you, and I've lived with you. And I would so much rather be living this life for you and with you. Lord, life is just so much more. It's full, and it's complete. And just thank you, Lord, and just pray, God, that eyes will be open today to see the truth of your gospel and to see that we all need you, Jesus. We all need you to save us and be Lord of our lives. Father, I lift up each person who are going through different things. We know the tornadoes came through different parts of our area this past week, Lord, and especially those out in Cottonwood. Father, we just want to lift people up to you and continue to pray, God, for the help that they need to recover and to start rebuilding, Father God. Lord, we pray for the family who's mourning because of the death of a loved one caused by the tornado. We pray that you would give them peace and you would bring comfort to them. And, Father, help all those who are working to do the repairs. And, Father, we just thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your word. And we ask your Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and direct us into all your truths. And pray as you tell us through James, the letter we'll be studying this morning, to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Thank you, Father. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I've heard over the years the letter of James described as the wisdom of book of the New Testament. And that's true. There's so much wisdom that we can gain through reading this epistle, through reading this letter that James penned. But we can't stop there because James, he was a pastor and he loved his flock. And that comes through in this letter. And he has much to say about living a Christian life. And we get that, we get so much of that through this letter as we read and we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. We see that this is God speaking to us through James telling us how to live this Christian life. And as we read in the Bible, it's important to understand the context of when it was written, how it was written. Because if we try to read the Bible through the lens of 21st century America, we're going to lose a lot. <laughs> so we need to look and see 
when it was written, what was going on at that time, who was writing it, find out what we can learn about the author. And that way we have a good understanding of the context in which we are reading and, and we're looking through the right lens. And then as we understand that, then we can put it into today's context and it makes so much more sense and we can better understand it and we can better apply it to our lives when we do it that way. And one thing to look at as we, as we read is the Bible has different literary styles. God wrote this word by working through, speaking to, inspiring men to write this, but he did it through their character, through their style, if you will. And so he allows their personality to stay intact as he speaks to us. And so that's why you see different styles of writing as you read the Bible. And I think that's just so wonderful because God created us as we are and who we are, and he wants to work through us as unique as we are. We all have our own personalities. We all have our own character. That's all from God. He wants to work through that in each one of us. And we see that in the, in the writers of the Bible. And the literary style chiefly used by James is one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament as he writes a collection of Proverbs. That's why it's called wisdom literature. So that's the style that James wrote in. And I like what J. Michael Walters writes. This is from a commentary for Bible students. And he writes, I've gone from viewing James as a somewhat disjoined group of random sayings to seeing it as the impassioned cry of a real pastor's heart. Like all good pastors, James knows his sheep, and he lovingly but firmly calls them back to the place of vital spirituality. Here is an epistle that makes the Wesleyan call to fulfill surrender in a holy life filled with the fruits of righteousness, shine like a laser, piercing the darkness of space. So, and I agree with Walter. James addresses problems within the church that threatened to undermine the Jewish Christian community at that time. And James furthers the holy living described throughout the whole Bible and the importance of us as believers at our time, but during their time, obviously, on instructing us how we should live this life. And his instructions are not only good for them, but through all generations. And today we must live in obedience to God. And that's what James is telling us. Be obedient to our Father. Be obedient to his word. And James tells us repeatedly in his letter to uphold God's laws. He even calls God's law the royal law in James 2, verse 8. In James 2, verses 11 and 12, he quotes two of the Ten Commandments. So James understands, obviously he understands the Torah very well, being Jewish, and he understands we need the law in our lives. But salvation is not about the law. Jesus came and fulfilled it. We can't work our way to it. But it's important to know his law, and we'll talk about that here in a second. This letter that James wrote is, is vital to the overall Bible. It's why it was canonized, why it was included in the Bible that we have today. James shows us the Old Testament was relative for the early church, and it's relative for today. And I've mentioned before on this broadcast, don't listen to those who say you need to unhinge the Old Testament. That No, you, we've got to have the Old Testament and the New Testament because we can understand them better when we have each other, and they're all the Word of God, and so we must have them. So don't unhinge them. Study them. Read, read them and see how they all work together, just like we did in that series of the Messiah through the Scriptures. We saw how the Old Testament looked forward 
to the New Testament where when Jesus came onto the scene and the New Testament looks back and shows all of those prophecies that Jesus fulfilled so we get a better understanding of the Messiah and that Jesus truly is the Messiah. So James, he does point out the laws of God quite a bit, and, and that's important because God's laws show us what sin is. And if we are not aware of sin in our lives, then it's impossible for us to become holy as God is holy, which Peter exhorts us to do so in First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. And he's actually quoting Leviticus eleven fourteen, where God says, Be holy as I am holy. And so without the law, we don't know what sin is. But the law shows us our sin, shows us we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And Jesus brings us back into relationship with God the Father. One interesting note about the letter of James is there were some strong arguments against this letter being canonized. I mean, even Martin Luther was against it, and he believed James contradicted Paul's statements about justification by faith and the fact James mentions the name of Jesus only twice. But while Jesus is only mentioned directly twice in this letter, there are numerous references of the Lord where James is referring to Christ. James also alludes to much of Jesus' teaching from the Sermon of the Mount, and we read that in Matthew. So while Jesus isn't mentioned directly, we see his heart throughout James's letter. It's like the book of Esther, where God isn't mentioned one time, but you can clearly see God at work in his providence throughout. And also in James, while he may not use the, the name of Jesus constantly, we do see again, Lord being mentioned, but he also mentions the name God numerous occasions. For example, we can see it in James 1, 5 and in James 1, 13 through 18. So this epistle belongs in the canon, in the Bible. Another interesting fact about James is he is the half-brother of Jesus. And we can see that in Matthew 13, 55 and Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. However, another interesting point is James and his family didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah during his actual ministry, during the time that Jesus was ministering. Uh, we see that in Mark chapter 6, verse 4, where Jesus said to them, a prophet is not dishonored except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we read, Then he went home, talking about Jesus, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when it, his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. So here's Jesus, the Messiah, and his family, including James, is not believing him. And here he is doing all these miracle signs and wonders. And we also read in the Gospel of John, chapter five, chapter 7, verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. So James and his brothers didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, uh, this is after Jesus has ascended and went back into heaven and the disciples, and they're all gathering around. And we see in verse 14 where, uh, where it's written, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So we see his brothers, and that's including James, are gathered together praying. They saw Jesus arise from the dead, so they believed. Uh, we read in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that Jesus appeared to James after the resurrection, 
and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, where Paul writes, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So specifically pointed out that he showed himself to James. He appeared to James, his brother. James became the leader of the Jerusalem church. We read about that in Acts chapter 15. And we see in Acts 15 where James renders his judgment at the Jerusalem council concerning Gentiles who have converted to Christianity. And what he said was framed in the Jerusalem Council's letter to the Gentile Christians. So James was the leader of the Jerusalem church. Uh, That's a big turnaround from not believing Jesus was Messiah to a, I believe and I'm leading the church here in Jerusalem. All kind of persecution taking place at that time as well. But he didn't care because he saw Jesus rise from the dead and there was no turning back for him. He was going to follow Jesus. And we, we understand that James's audience then, as he wrote this letter, would be Jewish Christians, those who were Jewish, who have converted, who have believed that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is obvious by his introduction to this letter where he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, the Christian church, that early church, was dispersed because of persecution uh, from the Romans, from the Jews, and Christians were were just being dispersed all over. And that's how the gospel started growing everywhere. So we can see James's audience was the Jewish Christian church by his use of the 12 tribes in dispersion. But we can also see that in James 2.2, where he mentions the synagogue and the Jewish reasoning throughout his letter and for his frequent reflection on the Torah, the Mosaic Law. James's letter just points so much to Jesus and just further proof, further eyewitness proof as well of Jesus being the Messiah. And as we see evidence of his references to the Torah, James loved the Torah. That's so easy to see. And he believed in following God's commands. And knowing the Torah as he did, he also knew that God is holy. Uh, he knows God is sinless. He knows God is truthful. So in James's eyes, he knows the Messiah would have to be just like God. And while James didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah there that we read earlier as Jesus was, was doing his ministry, but after the resurrection, he knew that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And growing up with Jesus, he had to think back and think that, well, my brother did live a holy, sinless life and a life full of truth. And combining that with Jesus appearing to him after the resurrection, James followed Jesus to his death. And so there was no doubt in James's mind or in his heart that Jesus truly is the Messiah. Another thing I find interesting about James introducing his letter as it's written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion is that that really ties in to Acts 1-8, where Jesus told his disciples that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you have that connection there as well that Jesus says, look, you're going to be dispersed, basically, and you're going to share this gospel. You're going to be witnesses of me uh, all over the world. And they were. And James's letter go, went out to all of them, which is also interesting because um, the, the number of the other letters are written to a particular person, but this is written to to a much broader audience. And so James is letting all of the Christians know this is the life we should be living. And the book is just filled with such great knowledge of that. And when we talk about looking at the context of when and where 
the letters and the books of the Bibles were written, uh, the early church that he wrote this letter to was going through a lot of persecution, as we mentioned earlier, uh, from the Jews, from the Greeks. And through that persecution, the church was spread. So the, the gospel message started getting out. And James cared for his, his flock. And we mentioned that earlier. And he sought to bring them encouragement. And he knew he's going through persecution. He knows they're going through persecution and that their faith would be tested. So he exhorted them to count it all joy during the various trials they were going to there in James 1, verse 2 and verse, verses 2 through 4. He's, t- he's giving them that encouragement. Count it all joy when you go through these trials. And James is called to be perfect, as he writes about in James chapter 1, verse 4, points to Jesus by alluding to what Jesus said during his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus says, Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Encouragement during persecution. It also points to Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, where Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you can see James quoting Jesus in his letter. And so we see Jesus throughout this letter and James reminding us of what Jesus told us because really the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling us how we should live this life. And James is just reminding us about that. The Apostle Paul also wrote about enduring through suffering. Uh, So James could also be alluding to the Pauline letters, such as in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, where Paul writes, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So Paul also wrote about enduring, dearing persecutions, as did James. And James, his encouragement of being steadfast in faith, that continues the the overall storyline of the Bible about obeying God. And when we obey God, we see throughout Scripture that that produces perfection. And that echoes Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 13, where we read, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. And so we see this theme uh, of being perfect as our God is perfect and being holy as God is holy. And James is reminding us of that. James Harton, writing about the testing of faith in James chapter 1, shows that it leads to perfection. And he writes, James's thought proceeds step by step. Trials lead to endurance. Endurance leads to perfection, while steadfast endurance does occupy an important place in the development of this thought. It is not the climax. Rather, it functions as a link to which leads to something even more important, perfection. Through testing, one is led to patient endurance and then brought further to perfection. And again, that's from Patrick Harton, who wrote, Call to be Perfect Through Suffering. And he was looking at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 on that. And James, he does a lot of exhorting here. Again, he's very firm in in it. But he exhorts us to be obedient to God's word. 
James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. James says this, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word, implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an actual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So James is telling us, look, we need to be obedient. We need to be doers of the word of God. And these blessings take place uh, if we do. And, and this follows what we see throughout the Bible, uh, in, as I mentioned in past teachings about the covenants. In God's covenants, we see blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And so this is keeping exactly what we read in the Old Testament. So James exhorts us to be obedient. He also exhorts believers to righteous lives before the Lord, where he tells us slow to anger and to put away all filthiness of rampant wickedness. And again, this alludes back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says in his sermon, to be perfect as his heavenly Father is perfect. And so, again, James is reiterating what our Lord has told us. And James, we know he was a Jew, so he became a Jewish Christian, and he understood that breaking the law was breaking covenant with God. The practicality of his writing is seen through his many references to the Torah in his letter, including what we just read there in verse 25, where he refers to the Mosaic law, and he calls it the law of liberty as well. And James continues to exhort believers to be doers of the word as he refers to taking care of orphans and widows as religion being that which is pure and undefiled before God in verse 27 there in chapter 1. And this continues the storyline of the Bible where God often instructs us to take care of orphans and widows. And we can read examples of that in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 18 Isaiah 1:17, Jeremiah chapter 7 verses 5 through 7. So again, James knows the Torah extremely well and he is showing how it's still relevant for today and he knows that we need to be obedient to the word of God and he's he's encouraging us, he's encouraging us to righteous living as Jesus exhorted us to be as well, actually commanded us to be. James, he warns followers of Jesus not to discriminate. If they show favor, he says, if they show favor to the rich over the poor, when they're assembled together in our current day, it'd be like when we're in church together, uh, they're committing sin. James is once again pointing to the Mosaic Covenant, and particularly in this case, Leviticus 19.18, which is also pointing to the Messiah as Jesus teaches about loving your neighbor as yourself in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. So you see how all these writings are connected together, and it's, it's, it's awesome to see that. And James, he's calling us to be obedient to that royal law. And John MacArthur says, 
that James chapter 2, verse 8, the phrase royal law is better translated as sovereign law, the sovereign law of the Most High God. Uh, so this idea that this law is supreme, which James quotes from Leviticus 8, 19, 18. James also alludes to Leviticus 19.15, Deuteronomy 19.16, and Job 34.19, where God commands not to show partiality to anybody. So God doesn't want us to be partial. And James, again, as I mentioned earlier, he's reminding us on how we should live this life as a Christian. And we know James talked about faith and works, and this is where a lot of things get misconstrued. Uh, James is not talking about salvation by works, but that works is an outflow of that salvation because if, if we are saved, Jesus is living in us, we're going to be like Jesus. And think about Jesus when we read about him. He ran to the pain of that day. There were lepers, and he went to them and healed them. There were people who were blind, and he healed them. People who were demon-possessed, he delivered them and cast the demons out. He brought people back to life. He, he went and ministered to people's needs. And that's how we should be, by going to the needs of the people around us, whatever those needs are. And if we're able to help, we need to help. Not just say, I'll just pray for you. But no, actually pray for them, yes, but also help. I just really love James chapter 2 and verse verses 14 through 26. So let's go to that and read that. And James starts to write here, What use is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but has no works, can faith can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? I just love James. He's just saying point blank, Hey, you need to put faith to action, action behind your faith. And he goes on to write, in verse 17, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac? his son on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, also faith without works is dead. And again, that's why I love James's letter so much. He is point blank. He's not holding anything back. And he is telling us, if you have faith, you're going to have good works. And I believe that because how can we not? If we got Jesus living in us, how can we not have those good works, those works of mercy flowing through us? And they all aren't going to look the same. Like here at Love and Action where we're ministering to the homeless and to the poor in our community and, and around the globe. Uh, but, you know, there's so many acts of mercy. Uh, there may be some elderly people living in your neighborhood, and you can help them. Uh, people foster 
kids who have no home. There's the, people go to nursing homes to visit those in the nursing home or to the hospital to visit those who are sick, go into the prisons and jails to minister to the people there. There's just so many different acts of mercy that we can do. And I truly believe if we have Jesus living in us, just like James writes about here, then those works are going to, there's going to be an outflow. Again, we're not saved by works. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone and the work that he did on the cross, dying for our sins and rising again to give us eternal life with him. And we're going to end here today. We'll pick up again next week on James, and we'll pick back up on this topic of faith and works and dive more into that. And I hope you'll be able to join me next week. And just want to thank you again for joining me today. And again, I just want to say, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior and Lord, don't let anything stop you. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. Just ask him to forgive you, to come into your life. Repent of your sins, which means, hey, I'm going to turn from my way and I'm turning to you, Jesus. Help me to live for you. I believe you died and rose again and you're coming back. And so just just pray something like that. Just, just talk to God. He hears you. He meets you right where you're at and he will forgive you. He will come into your life and save you. And again, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus, tell somebody about him this week. People need to know the good news. That's what the, God, the word gospel means, good news. So we know it. Let's go share it. Again, thank you for joining me. I hope each one of you have a wonderful week coming up. As you go through this week, remember that Jesus loves you so much. And I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.